We're excited to start an Old Testament book, and that Old Testament book is called Ruth. It's an incredible book, a remarkable book. If you've never read it, I'd invite you to turn to it right now. It's in the Old Testament. It's about the eighth book in, I think it's actually the eighth book, um, or you can just Google the book of Ruth, find it, open up a Bible app, take a moment to find it. Friends, it's so good to be here on this cloudy, windy day in England. It's also known as summer just to give you a little perspective, um, but it's so good to be here and to worship together. We're gonna study this book, and there's three reasons why we as a leadership team felt that this book would be very important for us right now in this season. The first reason is we want you to see how the Old Testament is a vital part of our growth and formation. All scripture is breathed by God and it's profitable for our growth. Secondly, there are very strong community and relational lessons in this book. And as Dom just mentioned, we're in a season where we're actively seeking to strengthen, to grow our Reality Ventura community groups as one of the primary ways that you can grow and invest in this community. So we're going to be drip feeding important community lessons as we go through this book. But the third reason is this, and the most important reason that we're studying this book is because... The Old Testament leads us to Jesus Christ, and the book of Ruth is going to lead us to Jesus Christ. And the way that this happens is through the themes of hope and redemption. What is our hope, and what does hope look like as a way of life? Let's begin this journey by reading the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I'm reading out of the NIV. Let me read these words, and we'll pray. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Pray together. Heavenly Father, as we read these words, we remember that they are not just a story, they're a historical event. Real people experiencing real tragedies as well as real joys. Thank you this morning that you see our lives that you see all the things that are going on in our hearts, in us and around us. You are aware of and you are concerned with them. And I pray that you would teach us today and through this series how you bring good things even out of bad circumstances, how you can bring healing and hope in times where we can be discouraged and distraught. And I pray that if anyone here does not yet know you, I pray that they would come to know you today, even if they're joining us online, that they would know the gospel, believe in you, 
and experience the living hope of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Imagine two women working on an assembly line. They have the same level of education, the same background. They even share the same temperament in their personality. And they've both just been hired for the most monotonous, boring job. They put together three parts for a machine over and over again, all day long, eight hours a day. Some of you are like, that's my job. <laughs> the room they work in is way too hot. It's not well ventilated, not well lit, and it's noisy. The circumstances for these two women is exactly the same. They work the same hours, they get the same number of breaks. Except one of them is frustrated and the other woman is absolutely thrilled. The first woman says, I hate this, isn't this terrible? But the second woman is saying, I'm just fine. I am perfectly thrilled. Why? Because the first woman, when hired, was told that she was getting paid only $20,000 per year. But the second woman, when she got hired, was told she's going to get paid $20 million per year. Different expectation, same circumstance. The same exact environment, but they had a different expectation of the outcome. Same circumstances, same temperament, but how they experienced their jobs was radically shaped by their expectation of the future. Now, friends, the point today is not that we all need a bigger paycheck. Some of you are like, oh, shoot, that's exactly what I thought I was getting out of this sermon. In fact, we are told that we should never put our hope in money. But the point is this, which everyone understands, even people who aren't Christians, we all understand this. How we experience our circumstances in the present is radically shaped by what we believe about the future. Where is this headed? What will the outcome be? We are hope-based creatures. So my question for you is this. What is your hope? Where is it found? And is it strong enough to carry you even through the worst of circumstances? Today, we begin a story which is primarily about two women who in large part share the same circumstances. And yet they both start out experiencing them very differently. And the difference is hope. See, the Christian life does not promise that your circumstances will always be pleasant. And the Christian life does not promise you that you're going to get paid $20 million this year. Just want to set your expectation. In fact, if you read the Bible, we're told that we can come to expect trials and tribulations. You can expect difficulty. But the Christian faith does give you a hope. A hope 
that enables you to face those trials, a hope that enables you to face those tribulations in a way that does not destroy you, but in a way that transforms you so that you do not become bitter, but even better through those circumstances. Today, we begin a journey which will teach us about hope. And we start with the first woman whose journey begins with uncertainty, but it ends with clarity. A journey with a woman who faces unspeakable pain and yet finds incredible redemption. A woman who sets out in despair, but she arrives in the end with remarkable joy. A woman whose story begins with death, but actually ends with life. And the difference is hope. And friends, I think we desperately need this. Because let's be honest, this past year has been full for many people of disappointment, unmet expectation, pain, suffering, difficulty. I was reflecting now that we're in April, I'm like, man, I can't believe all that's happened the last year. A year ago, our family, we were like in England, we were in lockdown. It seemed like everything was up in the air. We were going through all this stuff, you know, as a family. And our only outlet to the outside world was Instagram. And I'm looking through all these people who are like, I got my PhD and learned how to make banana bread in two weeks during lockdown. And I was like, wow, I cried in the shower every morning this week. Like, does that accomplish anything? Like, friends, it has been hard. For some of you, there's been relational struggles. Your marriage has struggled. Your friendships have struggled, or maybe you're, you're not married. Maybe you're, you're single and you've experienced deep loneliness. Maybe some of your friends have gone. For some of you, there's re- financial difficulties. It's been really hard, practically. Spiritual difficulties. What's going on in our hearts and our souls? I want to acknowledge that. And I'm not going to promise you that you will be taken out of these circumstances or that you just need to chin up or put a smile on your face. But I do want you to see how God gives you remarkable hope within your circumstances. And along the way, as we study this book, we will discover how this hope produces courage against the odds, kindness amid chaos, generosity in a time of scarcity, and faith in the midst of fear. We're going to learn about hope as a way of life. But today, we do not begin with the woman the book is named after. Our story begins with Naomi, whose Hebrew name means pleasant one, though her circumstances tempt her to become bitter. And yet, through all her struggles, her life ends up helping another woman find hope. Through Naomi, another woman, Ruth, discovers her hope and healing in the bigger story of God. And their lives are recorded in the Bible for us. They become our lesson, showing us how we can find hope in God's story and what happens in us and through us when we do. How can we survive when we have no control? where some of the most important people have left us and abandoned us, where God might seem distant. Today, we begin to learn about hope as a way of life, but it starts in the circumstance where many of us are tempted to give up. Tragedy. And what do we learn? 
as a way of introducing this book and looking at these first five verses, I want to note three lessons, and I want you to take them to heart. First, in your circumstances, know this. Hardship will come. That's not an exciting point, but it's an important one. The narrative begins in verse 1. We're told the time in which the story takes place and the chaotic times that Israel was ruled by the, the judges. They didn't have kings. They had these judges around 1,000 B.C. We know this because the historical book called Judges tells us about this time. It was a time of social, moral, and religious chaos where people did what was right in their own eyes. Add to this, it was a time of famine. Food was scarce. Times were hard. Wallets were, were, were thin and empty. But I want you to note that there was a connection between the situation and the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. Because if you read the Old Testament, you learn very quickly that God stated very clearly to the people of Israel that if they followed his ways, that their land would be blessed. But if they turned from his ways, the land would suffer. They had turned, and the land did suffer. But all those big picture problems are compressed into a few short sentences, causing us to focus on this one family. Naomi and Elimelech. They're ready to leave Bethlehem and set out for Moab. But is this the right choice? Was it the right choice for them to leave? Well, if you start studying the Bible, you might answer no. See, the land of Moab was Israel's historic enemy. Going there was to go into the land of idol worship, oppression, human sacrifice. They were the enemies of Israel. And God's promise to Israel was connected to them staying and remaining faithful in the land, in the place that he had set them. And so there's a little bit of an irony in the first few verses. Elimelech makes his choice, and his name means, my God is king. And yet, he's leaving the land of the king. But we can see their reason, of course. On the one hand, he wants to provide for his family, and he sees a better opportunity elsewhere. But on the other hand, they were called to stay in the land, even when it was hard. Which raises a question for every one of you. It raises a question for me. Will we follow God's command even when it is difficult? Will we follow God's ways when it is inconvenient? Will we follow God's ways when other people might have a problem with it? Will we follow God's ways when other people might dismiss us or scorn us for doing so. I ask that because it's important, because some of you may know that you're supposed to make a decision right now in your life. You know the right thing to do. Maybe you've been studying the Bible, learning about this, or you've known the Bible for a long time. Maybe you know what is right, but it's not convenient. 
And so you're not making that choice. You look at all the things forbidden in, in, in Scripture. We think of the works of the flesh. We think of stealing and wrath and immorality and all these other things. You know those things are wrong, but it's more convenient for you. And you end up doing what the people of Israel back then did. Doing what is right in your own eyes. Church, it's an important question to ask because there may be some decisions that even today need, need to be made. And the reasons we haven't been making them is because it would be awkward. It would be difficult. It would be inconvenient. And it's that inconvenience that's actually leading us away from choosing the right thing. Now, some of you might say, well, hey, I am choosing the right thing and it's hard. I am choosing the right thing and I didn't get 20 million at the end of 2020. So what's happening here? Well, you raise a good point. I'm glad you asked the question because sometimes suffering will come even when you make the right decision. See, here's the thing. With, with Naomi and Elimelech, we're not told the details explicitly. And so the commentators disagree on why they experienced the hardship that they did. And of course, things went well for a while, but only for a number of years. And then tragedy strikes, not once, not twice, but three times. We see it in verses three through five. And the order of events, don't rush past this paragraph, the order of, of events reveal how painful it was for Naomi. As hard as it would have been with the death of her husband, the hope that came with her sons of extending her family was lost 10 years later when she loses both of her sons. Can you imagine? Maybe some of you can. Naomi is now facing perhaps the worst fate that a woman could face back then. She had no security in a world in which Jobs were not readily available to her. No government security system or financial assistance would have been available to her. She's in danger personally, socially, practically, financially, and she's alone. And it seems that there's no one to comfort her. Add to that, she's in Moab. She's without the help of her Israelite community and she's in danger of losing her family heritage with all the men in her family dying and she's not young anymore. Now, why all this detail? Well, it's not only important to the story, it's important for us. And I want you to see how the Bible acknowledges with remarkable honesty the hardships of life. It's an important lesson for us because many people think Christianity is about pretending. Many people think Christianity is about show up to church and it doesn't matter if your life is terrible, just show up to your church and be like, hey, brother, how are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. Which may be true if you understand the meaning of that word, but if we're just putting on a fake smile and throwing out a, a cliche, then we're not really processing things rightly in our heart. And friends, I want you to know this. God doesn't pretend. God doesn't ignore the difficulties in your life. God sees you. God acknowledges the pain in your life, what you are going through. He acknowledges the circumstances, just as Naomi's 
Suffering is noted, acknowledged, and recorded. So your trials and your tribulations and your hardships and your difficulties are noted by God. He says to you today, I see you. I love how it's recorded by the psalmist in Psalm 56. He says, Lord, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. You may be thinking today, God doesn't care. He's not coming through for me on this, so he must not be aware. He's busy. He's running a planet. He doesn't really care about me. If that's you, know this, hardship will come, but God sees them and you're not called to pretend. But where does that leave me? What will happen? Well, that's the second lesson. Number one, in your circumstances, hardship will come. Number two, humility is required. In your circumstances, whatever you face, know that hardships will come and humility is required. Sometimes in the Bible, we're told the reason behind a person's death. It says, and so-and-so died because of blank. But here, as in many other cases, we're simply not told why or how they died. Indeed, like with Naomi, there will be many times and events where we will face hardships, we will face difficulties, and we will not always be aware of the reasons behind them. Their purpose is hidden. Not all suffering is the result of a sin. We learn that elsewhere, like in the book of Job. There will be mystery. Times where we will face what Naomi faces in verses one through five, the unknown. From her perspective, she thinks the odds are against her. She's living in a foreign land with the possibility of ceasing to exist altogether. No security, no identity. She's lost everything and she begins to see God as an enemy. So based on her circumstances alone, she is tempted to think God has forsaken her or God is not powerful or God has lost control or he simply doesn't care. Here we are introduced to what some commentators call the dark side of providence. The side that that we cannot see. And I say that and I acknowledge it because it's important in these times to cultivate humility. Acknowledging that though our present circumstances are real and though they may be painful, we do not always know the reason why. There will be mystery. We do not know what the outcome will be, which is important for me because if you're like me, when anything goes bad, I like... I just think the worst. I'm like, there's a long line at Chick-fil-A. I'm like, God, you hate me. Why, why do you hate me? My stimulus check was delayed. Like, God, are you even real? Are you even real? Like, God, where, where's, the, where's the economic resources we need? Where, where's the friendship that I need? Where's the community that do you even see? Do you even care? If you're like me, you jump to conclusions. You get a flat tire. Like, God is against me. If you're like me, you jump to t- conclusions. But I need to humble myself. I don't know how things are going to turn out. I don't know what the overarching reason for this is. Friends, there are times where God's hand will seem to be hidden. Knowing this doesn't 
make hardships easier, but they can be less debilitating. Knowing that our perspective is limited, knowing that not all of the facts are going to be available to us should at least give us some humility in the midst of our honesty and hopefully slow us down before jumping to conclusions. And some of you may already be there. You've already concluded, well, all this stuff happened in 2020 and it's because you don't care, God. You care about all those other people I hear praise reports about, but not me. But dear friend, if that's you, the Holy Spirit invites you to slow down. Hardships will come. We're given permission to be honest about our circumstances, but humility is required. You do not know. You do not know how things are being worked together. You do not know what the outcome will be. And the lesson in this introduction does not then there. We must know that hardships will come. We must know that humility requires. But friends, for anyone whose faith is in God, know this third lesson. Hope will always have the final word. Hardships will come. Humility is required. But hope will always have the final word for reasons that we will see by the end of this short story. Naomi will go from describing herself as being bitter and empty to one being described by others as blessed and restored. The story doesn't end in verse five. This is a story of God's sovereignty hidden at times deafeningly silent at times, but yet God is at work, even in the midst of times of grief, even in the midst of times of hardship. And we are given many, many reminders in scriptures of God's work in that way. I think of Joseph in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, where it seemed like everything was against him when his brothers sold him into slavery and he ends up in prison. And yet towards the end of his life, he says to his brothers after seeing how God worked it for good and put him in a position of power, he says, as for you to his evil brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And little did Naomi know at this moment in time in chapter one that it was only a matter of time before she would see the fulfillment of a promise that God made, not just to her, but to all the world through Israel to bring about a savior, to bring about a redeemer. And this savior, this redeemer would come through her family line. That's why it's in the Bible, a line that she thought was broken. Her husband is dead. Her sons are dead, but hope always has the last word if your hope is in the true and living God. And friends, this leads us to the gospel the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who would come through Ruth's line, through Naomi's lines. He saw our suffering in this world and he came into it. He entered the hardships that our sin created. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He experienced the worst of a sinful world. More than that, on the cross, he takes the punishment that our sinful world deserves. And he rises again and leads us into victory to give us new life, to give us a new identity, to give us forgiveness, to give us a clean start, to give us hope. Naomi's hope would ultimately be found in the same promise we find ours, the promise of a savior, a redeemer, and his name is Jesus. So friends, this morning as we begin this journey together, 
I want you to remember and take to heart that hardships will come. We need to be honest, and I invite you to be honest today. But in your cry, know this. The presence of hardship does not mean the absence of God. The presence of hardship does not mean the absence of God. And that's why humility is required. There will be times when God's hand appears to be hidden to you and to us. And this season may go on for a long time, possibly without the miraculous. But look, little did Naomi know that millions and millions of people would be reading her story, including people in a parking lot in Ventura in the year 2021, reading her story about how her story leads to her great descendant who is Jesus, the Messiah. And little did she know that standing right next to her in her hour of sorrow was the woman that God would use to bring that plan about. And her name is Ruth. And so for anyone who trusts in Jesus, hope always has the last word. And this hope is not wishful thinking. Just like Naomi was to eventually find her hope in the promise of God's faithfulness, so we can do the same even more so. God may not reveal all the details about your circumstances, but he has given you promises within them, promises that you can bank on. That's why we read the word of God. That's why our hope is in the gospel. Christian hope is not some vague expectation that like 2021 is gonna like solve all of our problems. It's not a vague expectation about a better future. It's based on Christ's finished work in the past. Jesus has come. He has died for sin. He has risen again. And that means that everything he said about our future is true. And that's what gives me hope. Jesus will have the last word, the final word for anyone who puts their hope and trust in him. Death will not have the last word. Cancer will not have the last word. Pandemics will not have the last word. Disabilities will not have the last word. Disease will not have the last word. Difficulties and hardships and financial strains and relational breakdown will not have the last word. Jesus Christ has the final word, amen? amen. And that is why we praise. And that's what makes us fully alive. He will raise me up. He will give me new life. That's why the great evangelist of the 1800s, D.L. Moody, once wrote of his own death. He said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody, east of Norfield, is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I will be more alive than I am now. That's the Christian hope, friends. If you don't have that, trust in him today. And if you are a Christian, renew your trust today. And one final thing that I like remembering when I re read the book of Ruth, every prayer in this book is answered in the end. Probably differently than they expected in the same way that our prayers may not get answered in the way that we thought they, they might, but God is faithful. So let's respond by praying honest, humble, yet hope-filled prayers. He may not take us out of our circumstances, but he has promised to take us through our circumstances and turn them into glory. Amen? Amen. Father, we pray that your spirit would cause our hearts to come alive to the truth of Jesus right now. We confess, many of us, that the hardships, the difficulties of our circumstance may 
have been blinding us to the truth of who you are and the truth of your word. And I thank you this morning that you don't ask us to pretend that they don't matter, but rather you call us to trust in your promises within them. I pray for anyone struggling who needs healing, who has unmet expectations, that they would find their healing as their hope and trust is renewed in you. And Father, for anyone here who does not yet know you, I pray that right now they would simply say, Jesus, save me. Not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done. I believe you died on a cross, rose again to give me new life. I accept you as Lord and Savior. Pray that they would pray that, whether they're watching at home or they're here, that they would pray that right now from their heart. And that you'd fill us all with hope. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we have this opportunity to respond. And it is so important that we do. There are men and women to my right and to my left by the, by the tents. There's the prayer team. They've got the signs there. I invite you during this time, if you're led, if you need prayer, and you're like, man, I just can't see beyond my circumstance, I invite you to do something radical, like stand up, make your way through the crowd, and go pray with them. There's something powerful about just admitting that and asking and inviting God into that circumstance. And I say that to every one of us right now as we begin to worship. As you worship, name your circumstance, however hard or difficult it may be, just name it. You can write it down if you want. But immediately after you do, say this, but Jesus will have the last word. Marriage is difficult, Lord, but Jesus will have the last word. My finances aren't there, but Jesus will have the last word. I feel lonely, but Jesus will have the last word. I need healing right now, but Jesus will have the last word. Friends, as we worship, we're declaring that. And as we do, we're changed by it. So let's respond now by declaring it together.